Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Mixing Lights from the Mailbag. I'm Robbie Carmen. I'm Dan Moran. And I am Patrick Inhofer, and we're going to do in this mailbag, we're going to talk about NAB 2015, and we're going to limit our conversation to hardware, physical gear that we saw at NAB that kind of excited us or caught our interest or caught our eye. And uh, so let's start with you, Robbie. Uh, what did you see that kind of caught your eye? Uh, everything, I think. <laughs> I mean, that's the amazing thing about it. Right. NAB, I mean, it's like it? everywhere you turn, there's something new and amazing yeah. and awesome. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't but help, you know, for folks like us who are colorists and editors and stuff like that, the South Hall is, is where it's at. You know, um, oh, yeah. you know, we go to that lower floor of the South Hall and it's just like, you know, it's like heaven walking around. And obviously, the first thing that I got stuck at was the, the, um, the Black Magic booth with all their new camera gear. Uh, I thought that was pretty cool. I actually think that um, Black Magic is kind of hitting it out of the park with these cameras. I mean, we started with um, you know the original cinema camera, which I have. You guys have the pocket camera. Then there was yeah. the 4K studio camera, the Ursa. And I don't know, have you guys ever picked up an Ursa, like an original Ursa? No. Uh, it, it might weigh 9,000 pounds. Now, uh, they actually say it's like a pound lighter than uh, an Alexa, but I, I don't know. It's it's ridiculously heavy. So the new um, uh, Ursa Mini caught my eye because I mean, fifteen stops of dynamic range. I thought was wow. I thought was just like I mean that's like Alexa territory and beyond, right? I mean that's that's just amazing. Mm. Um, and they did some cool stuff with a little mini camera, mini studio camera. So I think that's cool. I'm also really excited about uh, the rebirth of the Terranex Mini. Um, from them, I think that's going to be a really good way for a lot of people to do affordable standards conversion. You know, up and down kind of. Yeah, that's you know, that's that's pretty cool. I was looking forward. Yeah, to that. that's really cool. And yeah, I think you know just that that walking around that booth between some of the things they've done with obviously pushing into UHD and 4K workflows with some of their I/O stuff. Um, you know, they're kind of hitting it up out of the park. But I think you know for us. You know, obviously, what we focus on a lot with hardware comes to monitors. And Pat, I kind of uh, looked with a little jealousy because I was teaching classes, <laughs> and, and you, you got with some buddies of ours, and uh, I think you dubbed it the first ever South uh, South Hall monitor monitor pub crawl or something. What did you call it? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I called it the first annual monitor crawl. Yeah, I like it. And nice. I compared it to a pub crawl, mm -hmm. right, where you just gather a bunch of friends and uh, you just go to bar to bar to bar until you keep, until you drop right. <laughs> and that's what this was except we gathered friends instead of drinking we went looking at monitors. but just to be clear we, we did um, the drinking thing a little earlier in the week too i think <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's a matter of hours i guess between the drinking and the monitor right. crawl but um yeah it was a fantastic time uh, michael sadness was fantastic he's out of minneapolis yep. a colorist out of minneapolis and he is in the process of buying monitors mm. and so he had done all this legwork previously in the week. So when we got together, he's like, all right, I know where we got to <laughs> oh, nice. go. He and I want to hear your thoughts. And it was fantastic. Yeah, what were some of the highlights? The absolute highlight was the Canon Prototype HDR, High Dynamic Range Display. Uh, it was 4K 2000 nits. Oh, my God. It's like the surface of the That's sun. That's insane. It is, and we saw the Dolby. Dolby also had their HDR. They, they had one that was a 4,000 nit, if you <laughs> can believe it or 11. not. It, it does. It goes up to 12. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, the, the Canon one was more impressive because I actually think they pushed it to its limit in the demo material yeah. to the point where it actually hurt my eyes. Like when it cut, like not if you just, if you just looked at it and it was on a 
bright sunny day on the middle of it. I don't know if it was a desert or like a mountain scene, but it was all open sky. It was middle of the day, wide open, just completely bright. And what the scene before it was a guy walking through a darkened bar oh, with some <laughs> with some windows. Right. So that you had that they were showing you that dynamic range between the deep shadows of the guy in silhouette and then the windows where you could see all the detail out the window. Mm-hmm. But when they do the hard cut to that exterior, I squinted. It hurt a little bit, and it was mind-boggling. It was, I've seen HDR. I've seen Dolby demo this before, mm-hmm. and I was never really impressed. This impressed the heck out of me. It looked almost 3D. Interesting. The dynamic range so was real. so yeah. much and was so real that you almost felt like, and, and it wasn't just me. A couple of us had commented that it it's almost like we had 3D glasses hmm. on, and just how much that extra that that extra dynamic range adds to the realism of the image. Um, now, it was just to be clear, it was LCD, OLED. What was the display technology? You know, we got in at the back end. I'm pretty sure it was LCD. Yeah. I don't think it was OLED. Yeah. Uh, they oh, were okay. doing a demo, and and we got in on the back end, so I didn't get all the details and. And it was all such a blur, the monitor crawl, <laughs> as a good crawl should be, a blur. <laughs> yeah. um, I should have documented it better with my camera, just taking pictures now of it. Now, let me ask you another question about it. So, like, you know, I've seen, I, I've seen that same Dolby demo. I uh, have not seen the Canon demo. And I guess my opinion about HDR in the past was that it was useful for things like, you know, kind of like specular highlights, right? So, like, somebody, you know, whatever, watch glints, and it's like, whoa, whoa, that's crazy, right? But what you describe sounds like what you kind of more see in the real world, right? If you're inside... Uh, your house or something and walk out you know, on noon in the middle of the day, you're going to squint and it's going to be, you know, your eyes have to adjust. That's kind of the same experience that you had? That is precisely the experience I Interesting. had. And which I also, and I wrote my Sunday newsletter, it concerns me too as a colorist. Mm. Yeah, right? definitely. I mean, we're going to be staring at these images all day long creating this content. Uh, what if you bump your contrast reel, your, your contrast ring by mistake? Uh, and and you blow, I mean, yeah, you don't want to blind yourself, right? I mean, there are like, there's the reason you squint, it's a physical reaction because if you don't, you're going to hurt your retina. Yeah, sure. Right? And so, do we want displays that are so real they can actually hurt our retinas? And that, I think, is a really big question. And I don't know that there's anyone out there representing us answer asking that question and trying to get well, it's answers. funny that you say that i mean do you, dan do you remember a couple months ago on the tig the telecine interest group there was actually a, a thread of a couple people talking about how they had been doing prototype uh, you know grades on prototypes of these displays and how they had had problems like that and i mean dan you work with a lot of you know very you know, bright poppy stuff as it is. Could you imagine, put yourself in, you know, grading, a, you know, an HDR music video on an HDR display and the amount of time that you spend, you know, polishing these things. What, what would your take be on eye fatigue? It's funny. Uh, I've got a bit of experience in this from existing displays. Uh, like I don't need glasses. I can, you know, walk around all day. I can see everything. Um, but after I started in post and started grading in a dark room, uh, I started getting bloodshot eyes every night. Uh, and I went to the optician and they looked into it. Uh, and I got some glasses that did a minor effect. 
Uh, and they basically said the reason it helped is they think that when I wear glasses, I blink more and it keeps my eyes, lubricated. you know, more yeah. lubricated. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> At least like there's no actual reason. It's either like placebo or the fact is that when you're wearing your glasses, you blink a little bit and it works. So I've had it firsthand, you know, straight away, like eye fatigue. Um, and I don't know if you've ever done it, but you know, when you use like the high contrast mat, uh, in Resolve, if you have no key on that layer, you get a big old field of pure white. Right. <laughs> and I'm thinking, imagine that on the well, HDR display, it's just going to burn well, your eyes. Well, I mean, the, the crazy thing is, you know, it's like we've standardized kind of like at what? Like, you know, like 100 nits, right? You know, 28 foot Lamberts are about like that, you know, for, for most HD displays, you know, reference displays now. You know, you talk mm. about going from 100 nits. What did you say, Pat? 2,000 or 4,000? 2, nits. I mean, and the Dolby display said it was a 4,000 nit display. Now, the thing, the, thing, the thing that I'd be really interested to know is if that's local or if that's, like, display-wide, right? Because, I mean, like, again, yeah. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter, but there's probably a significant feel difference between 4,000 nits at the entire display and you're, like, getting a suntan off of it versus, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, oh, that's just, like, the, you know, the handle of the card door at 4,000 nits. And then in my opinion, HDR would be awesome for stuff like localized display, you know, brightness, you know, or those, you know, those kind of issues, right? Like the door handle, the watch, the whatever. But you're right, Pat. I mean, like, we got to come up with something that would protect colors from doing that work. And it reminds me of, you know, I back in the, you know, back in the day, two years ago, I was doing, <laughs> you know, I was doing a lot of stereo work, right? And it and it oh, and it, wow, it, yeah. it kind of reminds me of that kind of thing too, where like yeah, I mean it would be like man, twenty minutes, take a break. Twenty minutes, take a break. Um, so it'd be interesting to see how how that pans out. Now, Pat, I'm I'm curious. Did you guys make it to the FSI booth? Friends of ours, they I, I know that they came out with some new monitors. I wanted to get your take on this with the the guys on the crawl. You know, it's funny on the crawl. We didn't look at the FSI monitors during the crawl. Ah. We tended to hit. Uh, where we were seeing new technology. Ah, cool. So where did you where did, where did you go um, next then after the Canon and the Dolby guys? So after Can after Can Dolby was last, Canon was first. Then I think we went to Sony and we took a look at their OLEDs. Uh, we took a look at the currently shipping OLED, which uh, you know, and I've said this on on my blog at Tower Color that it's a ridiculous amount of money to spend. Robbie, I know you've actually spent it, but you get a lot of image for your money, um, and uh, they just, they're gorgeous, and to the point where the HDR version of their display just looks brighter, right? It doesn't, it's not like you're getting any more clarity, it's like, it's just a brighter version of the normal kind of Rec. 709 kind of display, um, so that, that was kind of cool. I mean, after Canon, everything was kind of a step down. But uh, then we did Canon, and then this is the, another real, I, I totally geeked out on this, which was we saw Christie did a projector that was RGB Rec 2020 laser projector. I'm right? jealous of that, man. Oh, man, yeah. it was so and, cool. And for those of you who don't know, Rec 2020 is a new recommendation, if you will, obviously like Rec 709, uh, that defines yeah. a, uh, let's put it this way, gigantic uh, color space. It's basically all visible light. Uh, <laughs> I think it's yeah. even beyond yeah, human vision. Yeah, that, that Rec 2020 is. And, you know, people have been shooting for this for the past couple of years as kind of like the ultimate because now we're not limiting our gamuts. You know, red can be red, green can be green, whatever. Uh, the problem has been uh, thus far that there's not really any display technology that's capable of really, uh, you know, producing or reproducing uh, that entire display gamut. So 
when you went to this this demo, were they claiming that they were showing 100% of Rec 2020? Well, they didn't say 100% of Rec 2020. They did say Rec 2020. Afterwards, a couple of us were talking, and someone made a good point that, gee, we should have asked them how they calibrated the damn thing because <laughs> you'd have to get like a, a radio spectrometer that's like a one nanometer width in order to accurately, you know, a laser projector hitting those RGB primaries. Um, so they didn't say 100%. By the way, the Canon... HDR said it was doing Rec 2020. I don't believe that. I believe that it might be in the range. Yeah. It may be outside, well, like even Adobe RGB. But uh, yeah, I don't believe that that actually hit you know Rec 20. Yeah, I mean, I think it's probably very akin. And not not having seen the demo, I think it's probably akin to where we've been with P3 for the past couple of years, right? You oh, know, yeah. people say like an emulation. Yeah, people say, hey, I hit ninety, you know, six percent of P3 or whatever on a given flat panel. But that's really cool. But what, what they did say and what they did do, the way the Christie display worked is it's in the middle of the show floor. It's a freaking laser projector. The thing, the projector itself was on top of this big box, a booth that was like 10 feet tall. And it was the size of like a small refrigerator. <laughs> and that was the laser projector. And they had it half powered. Afterwards, the Christie rep, he saw all of us and we all chatted with him. And he showed us in the back where the actual laser images were being produced <laughs> by basically two, one and a half racks that were seven feet tall. Oh, wow. And that's what it took to produce that image there in the hall. And it was at 50% power. Uh, it's rated for like 60,000 whatever. And wow. it's, what we saw was a 30,000 one. And it was a pretty punchy image being in the middle of uh, a completely open air uh, you know, booth in the middle of a convention center. And the cool thing is they would play down some footage, like uh, a lot of it was taking place at a circus. So you'd have all these bright primary lights and they'd freeze it and then cut between uh, Rec. 709, DCI-P3, and Rec. 2020. Just freeze the image and just do those cuts and then start playing to the next scene. And you could see uh, one of the guys called it, you know, Rec. 709, the reds in Rec. 709, Sony Orange. <laughs> you know, those primary reds in Rec. 709 just yeah. are kind of really orange. Yeah. And then when it gets out to Rec. 2020, it's like this rich, vibrant, real-life reds that you don't even realize we're missing when we're looking at our HD images. <laughs> did um did Red show their projector this year, or, or has it vanished into the ether? I heard nothing about it. Yeah, I, I didn't see it. I didn't go over to their booth Did you go year, to but... the Red booth? No, I've heard things. Though. Oh, dude, you should have seen it. Maybe I, I took a couple pictures. Maybe we can um, I'll post it. We'll post it with uh, this this um, mailbag. They, <laughs> Robbie, did you see the booth? Oh, I did, and I heard about it from a lot of our uh, female colleagues. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, who, 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 so who, explain who, yeah. the booth. Well, it was just like this kind <laughs> of like horror film meets like I don't know tattoo parlor meets like just like hyper real real thing right it was basically uh if i'm remembering correctly it was kind of like there's some skulls involved right remember the skulls oh yeah there were <laughs> there were faces in like jars of formaldehyde but it wasn't just one or two it was a wall of faces and yeah, a wall of that, jars i just of i just remember how i want to describe it it's like an episode like an episode of dexter right it was just like it is you know it's yep. just like this guy this guy just chopped somebody up and put him into glasses and you know and it was also like 
you know, these like beautiful kind of, you know, attractive. It was just, it was weird. Like, I mean, they've. It was an, an attractive woman on a, pl- on a, a slab. Yeah. And he was like removing her heart. He's cleaning his instruments. All the while, you've got the red cameras there shooting the scene. The whole point there is to, is to shoot the cameras at the scene and look at them on the monitors. Yeah. And so it was like this really bizarre... I loved it personally, but uh, I, what was the female reaction? Yeah, well, there was just so happened to be that there was a panel this year at Post-Production World <laughs> on sort of gender inequality in post-production and how, you know, at NAB in particular over the past, you know, 25, 30 years, however long it's been going on, you know, the, the age of the booth babe and sort of the... Of course. Uh, you know, the, those kind of things and sort of the uh, marginalization of women as like, oh, you're not... You can't be an editor because, you know, you're a woman, you know, those kind of things. Anyway, they did a panel this year, which I thought was really good. The attend um, the the speakers were great, the attendees were really great, but they just called that particular booth out as kind of still being a little uh, on the misogynistic end of things. Which, you know, to be honest with you, if I if I put if I put that hat on, I can totally see. Uh, I did I did uh, I you know I didn't personally view it that way. I just kind of was like, this is just freaking weird. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't know how anyone could look at that and say it was sexy. Yeah, it was. There was absolutely nothing. Sexy well, I just, about I just, again, place. I think it's the idea that, like, you know, just how Black Magic's been called out for, you know, um, you know, du- dudes and all their pictures on their product marketing gear. Oh, beautiful dudes. Yeah, beautiful. Be- yeah, you're, you, the Euro <laughs> yeah, guys. The Euro right, colors. I, Once they got rid of me, it all went. I think it was more of a marginalization <laughs> thing of like, why couldn't you have a dude on the slab instead of this beautiful woman? You know, like, like whatever. I mean, yeah. it, people can read into anything. I just, I just thought it was weird. You know, guys, other hardware that I'm really interested in, and you guys have known that I've been on this in this quest for years, is kind of the, you know, the streaming aspect of review and approval, being able to stream content somewhere. And you know, so I checked out the, you know, the solution that I'm currently using. The guys at Streambox, they had a lot of good stuff to show, uh, and others. Now, now, Pat, I know through a mutual contact, um, you actually saw a solution that I was fascinated about. That was kind of a 4K cloud streaming that kind of blew my mind. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so Open Disk. I hadn't actually seen it, but I talked to one of the guys involved with them. And their whole thing is they do 4K uncompressed streaming over private pipes, essentially over the dark net, right? It's amazing. And freaking phenomenal. You can do entire productions, entire films, uh, using their servers on their site, and everything streams 4K real time to you. And uh, and they're doing it with all SSD drives. I mean, you're literally hooking up, you know, petabytes of SSD drives uh, that make this happen. Really fascinating stuff. Yeah, and I think you know, for for the average colorist, it's fine. Like you know, come, you're never going to come close to affording a service yeah, like that. No. But you know, if no. you're if you're a studio film and you got VFX guys in, you know, California and your editors in Manhattan and, you know, you got guys doing roto work in India, you know, instead of having to worry about the security, you know, the security of drives and sending stuff everywhere, it's like, nope, here's the stuff on the server streaming to you, whatever. It's, it's brilliant. It's really amazing. Now, Pat, just to come full circle back on the monitors and your monitor crawl, I did get a chance to visit our buddies at FSI, and they were able to come out with a couple new ranges of monitors, kind of bookending their, you know, current offerings. So they got the A-series that... uh, 
man, I mean, it's like affordable technology now. You know, they've kind of it they've is. kind of taken back a little bit on some of the panels and a little bit of some of the software. But if you're looking for a monitor and an edit suite or you know uh, an assistant suite or something like that, that's still going to be color critical. But you don't need all those you know dozens of features and you know 10-bit panels and OLED and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's really affordable and on the high end. Uh, and I'm yes, I'm excited to tell you that I've already put an order in for one. Uh, <laughs> they have the the new DM series, which is kind of like their current CM series, um, but it ups the ante with new processor on board. It's got things like Wi-Fi, which is going to be perfect for a DIT. The reason I got it was because I needed a new OLED, but it basically has a LUT box built in. So on a dedicated downstream output, you can have your FSI perfectly calibrated, but then apply a LUT downstream to something like a client monitor without having to have an additional calibration box, uh, which is really cool. And like all FSI products, guys, it's crazy affordable. Well, and it's interesting when you take a look at what they did with their product mix, because by the way, on that DM250, yep. right? That's what they're yep. calling it. Um, it also does cross conversion in output. So you can feed it SDI into your reference monitor. And then it'll f switch that to an HDMI out to feed into your consumer plasma. Which is awesome. Yeah, it's terrific. Yeah, it's a great little feature. And so you've got stuff like that that they're doing on their high-end panels. But their a the A-series is really answering the call of people saying, look, it used to be that $5,000 was a bargain for a color-critical reference display. Yeah, now it's not anymore. Now it's yeah. not. Now <laughs> it's like the target. That's what you would expect to pay for a very professional, feature-rich reference display. And now people are trying to get you know these panel guys to come down market, come down price stream. And so what FSI did is they've simplified the feature set. So it's going to be a slightly older processor. It's not going to have quite as many menu items that you can select. Um, you're going to have more limited ins and outs. But it's still going to be that, you know, calibratable reference display that you would expect from someone who feeds that market. So I thought it was really smart of them as a way of trying to expand their market reach uh, without, without kind of giving up their brand. So guys, obviously there was a boatload more hardware that we saw from things like NAS devices and SAN to new LTO solutions uh, and things of that nature. So it's possible that we'll cover some more of that in future mailbag episodes. But to sum it up, stuff Blackmagic's doing with some of their cameras, really, really exciting. Uh, Pat saw some awesome stuff on his monitor crawl with our buddies Michael Sandness and Alexis Van Herkman. Um, and I'm really excited about technologies like laser projection and HDR and that kind of stuff. I saw Rec 2020 with my own eyes. How cool is it's that? It's like a mirage. It's amazing. It is. Um, so in our next installment of sort of our post-NAB wrap-up, we're going to take a look at what we saw on the software side of things. So stay tuned for that. For MixingLight.com, I'm Robbie Carmel. I'm Dan Moran. And I'm Patrick Inhofer. <laughs>